China's killing anonymity for some bloggers, Google kills their web DRM initiative, Apple warns Indian politicians of some state-sponsored iPhone attacks, Bitwarden finally has passkey support, and more. Welcome to Surveillance Report 155, where we're dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in the past week. I'm Henry from TechLore. I am Nate from The New Oil. This week, same thing, promo segment. We are going to have our Patreon, which is where uh, we have most of our support, and it's how we keep this podcast free and almost weekly. Um, and so you can check it out down below at patreon.com slash surveillance pod. Um, you get to contribute to this podcast. And also uh, we have uncut, well, not uncut completely, but we have much uh, more extended versions of these episodes. If you like more of our commentary and our analysis on different stories. And also we have the Q&A that we post alongside these episodes, typically around midweek as well. So if you want to join that Q&A, that's done on our Patreon. And if you don't like Patreon, we're also on LibraPay and we support Manet as well, and we do see those Monero contributions. So thank you all very much for your support. We couldn't do it without all of you. And uh, just on that note, I wanted to respond to a few. I've, I've seen people over the years kind of complain that sometimes we're very brief on the highlight stories, which is a fair criticism. But a couple of things that I wanted to respond to that. Number one, we pick stories based on what we feel are like important stories that people should know about. And sometimes it's important, but there's just not much to say. Like, hey, this is the story, know it's happening, and that's all we got to say. But also, like Henry just said in the promo segment, we try to reserve all of our analysis, commentary, jokes, opinions, things like that for the Patreon version. Because, like, a lot of people, before we had the two versions, a lot of people were like, oh my god, dude, just stick to the facts, shut up. So that kind of solved a lot of issues. So if you find yourself being like... You know, that was so short. You barely said anything. You just covered the facts. Like, joy, maybe check out Patreon. You know, see if you like it. And, uh, I mean, if you don't, you can always cancel it. But, you know, that might give you more of the, the in-depth analysis you're looking for sometimes. So, it's not all jokes. It's actual opinions and commentary. All right. Uh, very quickly here. Well... Maybe it's quick, but at least the story's quick. So this is the highlight story. China is removing anonymity of bloggers' accounts with more than 500,000 followers. Uh, so most popular social media platforms on Tuesday announced that self-media accounts with more than that half million mark uh, will be asked to display real name information, which is a controversial measure that has prompted concerns over doxing and privacy among some users. Self-media includes news and information not necessarily approved by the government, a genre of online content regulation, a genre of online content regulators have cracked down on in recent years to purify China's cyberspace. Yeah, and it's, it's weird to see all the different responses because some of them were like, the government says you have to have real name and that's all we're going to enforce. And then others are like, one of them made a, a point of saying like, if you're under 500,000, don't worry. And it's like, well, yeah, obviously I think most of the people who are mad don't have more than 500,000. They're mad on behalf of the people that do. It's, it's weird to see the different responses. And I guess for people who are wondering what the issue with this is. So Twitter, for example, used to be a great whistleblower platform before it became it's always kind of been a privacy dumpster fire, but especially in the recent year or two, it's become even worse in this regard. Objectively, too, not just by opinion. You can look at act the actual data and they're actually not complying with privacy regulation as well as they used to. They're not even doing transparency reports anymore of government requests. It's really bad over there right now. But it used to be a great whistleblower platform where you can go online uh, more or less anonymously and post 
uh, what you needed to post so the world can hear on Twitter. And that slowly kind of became less of a thing you do on Twitter. And people don't want to do that anymore because Twitter isn't doing a good job of protecting whistleblowers. So uh, this is my concern with something like this most of all, is um, if you have a certain amount of followers, you're now no longer going to benefit from a situation where you can actually utilize anonymity for something good. So unfortunate. Well, and there's also, and I'm sure this is intentional, but there's also that whole like, not being anonymous chills free speech thing, which is probably what China's trying to do is crack down on people like, hey, you can criticize us all you want, but we're gonna force you to dox yourself if you get too many people listening to you. All right, with that, we'll move into the data breaches section and it's reasonable this week. I mean, anything above zero is kind of unreasonable, I guess, but you know what I mean. Uh, the first one says attackers access 632,000 email addresses at US Justice and Defense Departments. So this was part of the move it breach. It's never going to go away. Uh, quoting the article, an unauthorized actor obtained access to government email addresses, links to government employee surveys administered by the Office of Personnel Management, and internal OPM tracking codes. The impacted employees were at the Department of Justice and various parts of the de Defense Department, such as the Air Force, Army, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Office of the Secretary of Defense, the Joint Staff, and Defense Agencies and Field Activities. The OPM characterized the hack as a, quote, major incident, but also said it didn't have reason to believe it posed a significant risk and that the compromised data was, quote, generally of low sensitivity and not classified. So that's the silver lining, I guess. There is uh, an Aadhaar data leak uh, out of India and personal data of 815 million uh, Indians is uh, now on sale on the dark web. So the data sets on sale contain crucial information such as Adhar and passport details, along with names, phone numbers, and addresses. The CBI, which is the Central Bureau of Investigation, is expected to probe the incident after uh, the ICMR files a complaint. The attacker is selling the whole set for $80,000 and has not specified how they obtained the data. Last month, researchers found that the official website of the Ministry of AYUSH in uh, Jark Jarkhand uh, has been breached, exposing over 320,000 patient records on the dark web. Uh, so not good. And I know over on the Techler forum side of things, people were, you know, talking about how uh, it's unfortunate when, you know, the government maybe wants to do something right and they want to centralize things and make things more efficient for citizens. But in doing so, they're also just, you can't, they can't be trusted with basic stuff like this. It's really frustrating. Like, I wish that, you know, I could trust my government to uh, implement something like this in a way that was safe and actually made life better. Quick one from Boeing. Boeing has confirmed a cyber incident after a ransomware gang claims a data theft. So their spokesperson confirmed the attackers had targeted, quote, elements of parts of our parts and distribution business. Uh, they also said this issue does not affect flight safety. We are actively investigating the incident and coordinating with law enforcement and regulatory authorities. We are notifying our customers and suppliers. And the listing, the article notes that the listing was removed from LockBit's website, which means that they probably paid the ransom. The next two stories are actually from the same company with two different data breaches, which I don't think we've ever done that before. So congrats to uh, Okta, who was hit by a third-party data breach exposing employee information. Now... This first one is a new story, and the next one will be an update to last week's story. So let's cover the new data breach first. Um, they are warning that nearly 5,000 current and former employees that their personal information was exposed after a third-party vendor was breached, which includes full names, social security numbers, and health or medical insurance plan numbers. So employees, uh, whoever worked for that company or currently do, definitely keep an eye out for that. Then Nate will cover the update from last week. 
Just a quick update, we basically kind of already knew this, but now we have confirmation. Okta was breached and it affected 134 customers. So five of them went on to be targeted in session hijacking attacks, which uh, three of those people did disclose those. Um, those were 1Password, Trust, and Cloudflare. We didn't go into a lot of detail on that last week, but we did cover that. Um, and they did confirm some of the files stolen were HAR files that contained session tokens, which could in turn be used for session hijacking, which is like I described, it's when they get a hold of, you know, it's your cookies, it's your sign in authentication, it's you, it's a snapshot of your browser session, they drop it into their browser, and now they're already signed in as you, they don't need to steal your password or anything. It says in order to breach Okta's support system, the threat actors use credentials for a support service account stolen from an employee's personal Google account after they logged into their personal Google profile while using an Okta managed laptop. So not good compartmentalization going on there. While Okta didn't share how the attackers stole the service account credentials, the company said that the most likely avenue for exposure uh, is the compromise of the employee's personal Google account or device. In response, Okta has taken multiple measures to prevent similar incidents in the future, including disabling the compromised account, blocking the use of personal profiles on Chrome on managed devices, um, so basically don't sign into your personal account when you're on a work device, deploying additional detection and monitoring rules and uh, binding administrator tokens on network based on network location. And now companies. So not too long ago, Chrome was talking about rolling out a new feature, which was Web Integrity API, which many just deemed to be DRM. This was prototyped and it was only at the proposal stage and the company announced today that it's not going ahead with this API. Google said that people took issue that it would bring DRM to the open web. Google heard the feedback and said today that this proposal is no longer being considered by the Chrome team. However, it is piloting a new Android WebView Media Integrity API that's narrowly scoped and only targets web views embedded in apps. It simply extends existing functionality on Android devices that have Google mobile services, and there are no plans to offer it beyond embedded media such as streaming video and audio or beyond Android web views. On the privacy front, no user or device identifiers are shared. Unlike apps and games using Play Integrity API, media providers will not obtain the app's Play license status, and apps will also be able to exclude their package name from the verdict if they choose. Their goal for the API is to help sustain a thriving and diverse ecosystem of media content and Android apps, and they're inviting media content providers to express interest in joining an early access program early next year. So... I guess we'll see how that new thing uh, unravels, but uh, it doesn't sound like something that's going to be fantastic that I'm going to be a big fan of, mainly just from the uh, DRM side of things. We only had one company story, so now we're going to go into research, and we only have one research story. It says, probe of school surveillance software finds privacy abuses and inaccurate results. So this is a summary of an EFF uh, research piece that weirdly did not come through my newsfeed. But the article, well, I'm going to quote the article. GoGuardian is used to surveil about 27 million students in 11,500 schools nationwide, according to EFF, which says the software consistently flags innocuous content such as college websites, counseling and therapy sites, and pages with information about drug abuse, LGBT, uh, LGBTQ plus issues, and sexual health. The company is part of a much larger student surveillance ecosystem that includes companies like Bark and Gaggle. They all provide schools with vast quantity of student data while incorrectly identifying content, according to EFF. The investigation released on Monday found that those false positive flag students for, quote, viewing content that is not only benign, but often educational or informative. The students were allowed to click through and view the sites, but the administrators, school administrators, were made aware of their search histories. That content included an array of harmless topics, in uh, according to EFF, including pages about black authors, the Holocaust, and the LGBTQ plus rights movement. 
EFF added that they even detected students flagged for searching Shark Tank cast bios and fitness guides from the Marine Corps. So everything you can possibly imagine. <laughs> uh, a spokesperson for GoGuardian defended the company's products, saying in, an, in a statement that, quote, schools have a responsibility to keep students safe in digital spaces and on school-issued devices, unquote. EFF asserts that the company even collected students' location data and live views of the screen, allowing school administrators to create, quote, comprehensive profiles of students and creating what EFF calls a stunning invasion of privacy. Now let's go into politics. So there's a U.S.-led cybersecurity coalition which vows to not pay cyber criminals ransom demands. Uh, the joint pledge was announced during the third annual meeting of the International Counter Ransomware Initiative, or CRI, which is a U.S.-led cyber coalition that aims to enhance international cooperation to combat ransomware. Uh, this includes 48 countries as well as the EU and Interpol, making it the largest cyber partnership in the world. The pledge stops short of banning companies from making ransomware payments. Not all of the 48 member governments have yet agreed to this pledge, though it's not yet known which governments have signed up. Full details of the joint pledge, which are still being finalized, have not been announced, and the White House has not yet said how member states will be held accountable to their pledge or what consequences they face. Um, but this seems like a pretty good idea, at least on paper, because if you have a ton of countries committing to not paying ransom, then people are less incentivized to implement ransomware because they feel that they might not get their money. So uh, interesting idea. I guess we'll see how this unfolds. Now, here in the U.S., the FTC has ordered non-bank financial firms to report breaches within 30 days. So this includes entities like mortgage brokers, motor vehicle dealers, payday lenders, investment firms, insurance companies, peer-to-peer -peer lenders, and asset management firms. The notice needs to be submitted onto the FTC's online portal, and it must include details... I'm sorry, that just struck me as that's kind of ironic. You can't protect your data, so use the internet to submit this data. <laughs> it must include details about the incident, such as name and contact information of the reporting institution, number of impacted customers and of those potentially affected, description of the types of data that have potentially been exposed, exposure date and, if possible, to determine the duration of the incident, and confirmation whether law enforcement advised that public disclosure of the breach could obstruct an investigation or threaten national security. The agency has added a provision for a 60-day delay should a law enforcement official seek an extension in the public disclosure of a specific incident, so it could be up to 90 days in some cases. The rules should be uh, applicable starting in April of 2024. And just as a side note, uh, New York State, I, I started to include it in the show notes, but... Um, it's very similar. New York State has taken this law and they've uh, gone a little bit further with it and added some more stuff. So I'm not going to rehash it, but they uh, I threw it in the show notes because, like I said, they did take it a little bit further with their state cybersecurity guidelines if you guys are interested. All right, uh, this one. So California Department of Justice declares out-of-state sharing of license plate data is unlawful. This is uh, to require basic safeguards for the use of ALPRs, which is automatic license plate readers, and that includes a prohibition on California agencies from sharing data with non-California agencies. They also include the publication of a usage policy that is consistent with civil liberties and privacy. Um, so it doesn't mean if you're in California, they can't collect it, and keep it in California, they just can't do out-of-state sharing. Um, and I'm sure there's also workarounds to this if they really wanted to. I'm sure an agency that wanted to set up some kind of California presence could then still get the data indirectly through California. But um, I still think this is a good thing overall. It's just, it's definitely not bulletproof. Canada has banned WeChat and Kaspersky applications on government devices. So this is due to privacy and security risks, but the government made a point of saying that information has not been compromised. So ostensibly, this is like them being proactive. 
The ban was announced after an assessment by Canada's chief information officer that said that the apps present an unacceptable level of risk to privacy and security. I can make that argument about a lot of apps. Uh, China's foreign ministry said that the Canadian government had issued a ban on Chinese enterprises without any real evidence under the guise of maintaining data security, which is a typical generalization of the concept of national security. It said the ban abused national power and unreasonably suppresses the behavior of enterprises in specific countries. Kapersky said that it was surprised and disappointed and that the decision was made without warning or an opportunity for the firm to address government concerns. UK police urged double use of facial recognition software. So police are being encouraged to double their use of this software to track down offenders over the next six months. This is from the police minister, Chris Phillip, who has written to force leaders in England, suggesting that the target of exceeding 200,000 searches of still images against the police national database by May using the technology. He's also, in, he's also encouraging police to operate live facial recognition, LFR cameras more widely, before a global artificial intelligence safety summit next week. Phillips said that the advances would allow police to stay one step ahead of criminals and make Britain's streets safer. The force said it had already made three arrests, including one on suspicion of rape. After five positive alerts, Philip House has also previously said he is going to make the UK passport photos searchable by police. He plans to integrate data from the police national database, the passport office, and other national databases to help police find a match with the click of one button. At the time, civil liberty campaigners said the plans would be an Orwellian nightmare that amounted to a gross violation of British privacy principles. In response to the plans, a cross-party group of MPs and peers this month also called for an immediate stop to the use of live recognition software, oh, uh, to the use of live facial recognition surveillance by police and private companies. Um, I have never seen this before. Normally, it's I've never seen someone so ambitiously say, we're going to double the amount in this time frame as if it's like a it's like a quota for coals <laughs> or something um it's pretty insane and even in the u.s where i'd say we are very much willing to give police surveillance tools they're still conducting things pretty behind the scenes and i don't think they're as proud to admit they're doing this kind of stuff um so very interesting take i haven't seen this yet so um definitely spooky obviously we're gonna land more on the side of the civil liberty campaigners who are thinking this is a little bit of a privacy nightmare um and I would personally, if I was able to sit next to this man, Chris Philp, I'd ask, well, what's your, what's your research? Where's the evidence that this works? Like, can you actually give us real reasons to actually trust you on this? And I would like to see what he has. He'll say he made three arrests. That's his research. Right. Out of the <laughs> 200,000 searches they want to do. <laughs> <laughs> And it's right. like, how many arrests did you do without using this technology? I'm sure you made a lot more arrests without it. So our next story comes from Germany. I had to, dude, I had to fight so hard to find an English version of this story because everybody kept posting the German version. And it's weird that nobody is talking about this in English. So a German court has banned LinkedIn from ignoring do not track requests. Uh, the Berlin Regional Court has issued a ruling against LinkedIn, prohibiting some of its data practices. The lawsuit was brought forth by the Federation of German Consumer Organizations, or YZBY, I think, v VZB. I'm getting that little red squiggly. I can't read it very well. Uh, the court found that LinkedIn cannot ignore do not track signals sent by users' browsers. And additionally, the court banned LinkedIn from automatically making users' profiles publicly visible when they first create an account. Uh, users must expressly agree before their profiles can be visible to non-members. So they have to be private by default or, you know, not publicly visible by default. So um, just a condensed version of that article, but interesting stuff, cool ruling. And 
you know, one nice thing about Europe is a lot of the time it seems like one country makes this ruling and then everybody else like kind of echoes it. So for now, this only applies in Germany, but we'll see if it gets expanded, which I think would probably be a win. And the last two political stories are pretty juicy. So uh, the first one is Apple's warning Indian opposition leaders of state-sponsored iPhone attacks. Apple has warned over a half dozen lawmakers from the prime minister's main opposition of their iPhones being targets of state-sponsored attacks uh, in a serious digital espionage charge just months ahead of next year's general elections. Um, this includes some journalists, along with the Observer Research Foundation, India President Samir Saran, shared that they had been served with identical warnings from Apple. And the article goes into more detail on exactly who was being targeted. In a statement to TechCrunch, Apple confirmed that it had sent threat notifications to individuals, but added that it hadn't attributed the threat notifications to any specific state-sponsored actor. India's IT minister said the government is concerned about the matter and is investigating to find the truth. He also downplayed the allegations, saying that the threat notifications received by them were vague and merely estimations. And our last story comes from Russia, who is blocking 167 VPNs and stepping up on OpenVPN and WireGuard disruption. So back in late March of this year, Russia augmented its long-burning VPN crackdown with a series of PSAs. <laughs> I have thoughts on this one. Uh, a series of PSAs claiming that using a VPN for security is actually much worse than not using a VPN at all. I have definitely heard some people in the privacy community say that, and I'm just going to throw it out there. If you're echoing Putin, I would just double check what you're saying. A broken clock can be right twice a day, but, you know, you might want to stop and be like, wait a minute. Uh, one of the ads, this is great. I mean, it's not, but it's fun to laugh at. One of the ads warned that VPNs somehow obtained users' passport details plus their names, addresses, and dates of birth. Another suggested that since VPNs in Russia know everything about their users, spouses might learn about secret affairs, a high price for accessing a social network blocked in Russia, the PSA added. So during the summer, Putin signed off on legal amendments that will require some internet platforms, including social networks, to verify new users' identities, in some cases using their passports. So I guess maybe those ads aren't entirely wrong. Uh, providing advice on the use of VPNs or similar tools to access banned internet resources, including extremist Western social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram, was rendered a criminal offense. A former FSO officer and now a central figure in Russia's sovereign internet project confirmed that 167 services are now actively blocked after failing to comply with government requirements, and they are also blocking more than 200 email services. The article did not give a list of any of those. If anyone has a list, I would just be curious to see if any of the names I recognize are on there. In addition to driving non-compliant VPN providers and using regular means to block domains and IP addresses, Russia has also been developing its ability to block specific traffic protocols. For years, there have been reports of sporadic interference, but starting in April of this year, reports began to emerge of popular protocols like OpenVPN and WireGuard being blocked by certain ISPs. And I assume Tor is probably not far behind that. So um, very unfortunate for, you know, people just trying to Escape censorship, stay informed, and know what's going on in the world outside the propaganda bubble. Well, now we're going to go into free and open source. And we're going to start with Bitwarden, who now supports passkeys. Woot woot. So you can only create them via the web extension, not the website. Uh, but they should be usable on all devices uh, once that's done, if we interpreted their GitHub page correctly. The next story comes from Phylin, who has pushed out an update, and they now include notes, chats, and contacts. For those of you who don't know, Phylin is an end-to-end -end encrypted storage solution, so kind of like a Dropbox, but end-to-end -end encrypted. And uh, they said, since we want to continue to focus on end-to-end -end encrypted collaboration, 
In addition to file storage, we have launched three new options. So I'm going to kind of paraphrase here. Notes, you can use uh, normal text, rich text, checklist, markdown, or even code. They have some screenshots. Looks very clean. Looks pretty cool. You can view, edit, and save your projects, to-do lists, or even your development documents easily and clearly. Chats include drag-and-drop attachments and external link previews. And chats themselves do not take up any storage space, but attachments do. So just keep that in mind. Um, I would assume you can probably delete old chats to clear up storage space, but I'm not quite sure on that. And contacts, uh, in case it isn't obvious, you can only chat with other filing users, and as a result, you can add them as a contact. Um, so this isn't like contacts in the sense that like storage and, or, uh, excuse me, uh, like Proton and, and Tutanota offer contacts where like you can put in phone numbers and, and all this other information. Um, it's basically just adding people so you can see if they're online, um, you can block people if they're spamming you, uh, you can see if they've seen your, your request and approved it yet. So yeah, um, just interesting stuff. They say they're going to continue to try and improve it. And if you have any suggestions or requests, you can send them to the team via social media or their support email. Just a uh, pretty cool stuff. And the last open source story, uh, Linux Mint 21.3 to ship with Cinnamon 6.0 and experimental Wayland support. The default session will still be X11, but users who want to try Wayland can do so by just selecting the Cinnamon on Wayland session from the login screen. It's that easy. Uh, a few other updates that are outside of uh, things that we want to cover, but feel free to check it out in the article. All right, with that, we'll move into Misfits. Um, so this, this first story I chose... The headline says, the woman accused of killing pro-cyclist Mo Wilson tracked her on a fitness app, prosecutors say. This woman has pleaded not guilty and is accused of slaying Anna Mariah or Mo Wilson, who is a competitive gravel and mountain bike racer. Uh, Wilson was shot in the head and chest when she was found at a friend's home before a race that she was expected to win. The prosecutor said in his opening statements, the last, th the last thing Mo did on this earth was scream in terror. Uh, those screams are followed by a pop pop, which is the gun. And he said that nearby surveillance equipment captured the screams. And then the defense attorney said that this is all quote, a web of circumstantial evidence unquote, because there is no video evidence or, uh, eyewitnesses who can put the accused at the scene of the shooting. So they're both kind of relying on that digital surveillance. Prosecutors said that they will show in the coming days of the trial, they will show, um, their communications, uh, their whereabouts. Um, sorry, I'm kind of skimming through the notes here. Um, they were able, here it is. Armstrong was able to track Wilson's location because Wilson had not turned on a safety feature on a phone app. That was literally the extent of what they're talking about in the headline. As if it's her fault too. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. you idiot, like, you should have oh, turned on these ass. settings and you wouldn't have been killed. Like what? Exactly. It's like, dude, victim blaming at its finest. Like just <laughs> give us good privacy defaults and then it wouldn't be an issue. Yeah. Sorry to um, interrupt. No, you're good. You're good. Definitely a, a good observation. Um, investigators quickly cleared Armstrong's boyfriend. Uh, they said that video and cell phone calls, texting, and location data confirmed that he was nowhere near the shooting. And then the jury heard a recording of uh, Wilson's friend was the one who, you know, found her and called emergency services. Um, and then they later watched body cam footage from the police who arrived at the scene and took over resuscitation efforts. So uh, just, yeah, I just, like I said, I was kind of trying to like parse this article and I was just struck by really all the different digital which is kind of light on details, but I don't know. I just, I found that really interesting. Just all this digital surveillance that's just everywhere, just everywhere, everyday things, you know, phone apps and, and all kinds of stuff. And the last story in the Misfits is YouTube is cracking down. 
uh, on these ad blockers, which is leading to hundreds of thousands of ad blocker uninstalls. So talk to your friends and family about this. Remind them that malvertising is so bad that even the FBI themselves recommend using an ad blocker. And we recently covered some stories last week about like a fake KeePass website that was served via Google advertisements as well. Um, so don't quite give in to YouTube's BS by uninstalling entirely. Um, if anything, uh, you just whitelist YouTube from your ad blockers. So keep your ad blockers on. And if you still have to use YouTube for whatever reason, just whitelist YouTube. Um, but the figures apparently come from various ad blocking companies. Uh, this includes uh, places like Ghostery as well as AdGuard, which said that they saw some massive people, some massive uninstallations. Um, but however, it was added that some people actually saw increases. Uh, it sounds like some people are just uninstalling some extensions and trying other extensions as well. So it seems like there's kind of this random exodus happening where people are trying out different ad blockers, uninstalling their ad blockers and doing all these things. So, um, yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, we run ads on YouTube. Um, I do on the Techler side of things as well. It is a good source of income for us. Uh, it's not like our main source of income, but um, we do get a little bit of money from it. And so we have stake in this and we definitely have a bias to tell people to use ads. But uh, that's just not, I can't in good faith tell people you should allow ads across the internet. I use an ad blocker um, for security. That's like mainly what it is, aside from ads just being obnoxious at this point. You know, if there was like a 10 to 15 second ad before YouTube videos, that's fine. But if it's two unskippable 30 second ads before a 30 second video, I'm not going to deal with that. But at this point, from a security perspective, it's silly to not have an ad blocker. We're just seeing too many issues with ads at this point. So I don't know if you have thoughts there, but actually my only thought was um i also have ads enabled on the new oils channel but i actually encourage people to use an ad blocker although i do say that with the caveat of like hey if you're going to do that please support the channel in other ways either you know donate some money or if you're not in a position where you can do that like share the channel around with friends and family like you know i i get it i hate ads so so much and like, I'm appreciative of the ad income, which even, yeah, even for me is really not that much, probably mostly just cause I'm so inconsistent at putting out videos on a timely schedule. But yeah, like even me, I get it. Like even as someone who gets money from those ads, I'm like, dude, just block them and just pay five bucks or something or a dollar a month. Like I would much rather you do that than subject yourself to it. But right. It makes me upset because advertising can be a decent monetization method right like we talked have to be a privacy nightmare either right <laughs> like we've ads right we've talked we've talked in the past about how like the ratio of people who support this podcast is extremely low um but it's not just an us issue uh this is like pretty universal it seems for most creators like maybe one percent if not less of people who watch a video will actually contribute uh financially to the creator um and what that means is it puts more pressure for the monetization industry to be a little bit more invasive and bring in more revenue and more income, but it doesn't have to be that way. And that's what's frustrating. Like you said, they can be contextual ads. They can be privacy respecting. They can be safer and they can just be less invasive overall. They don't have to be two unskippable 30 second advertisements on YouTube. Um, so I'm frustrated because it doesn't have to be this way, but 
it's just how the world is, I guess. That kind of wraps up the stories for the week. And so again, China's killing anonymity for blockers, which is definitely something to keep an eye on. Google's killing their web DRM initiative, but introducing some other weird thing. And I guess we'll see how that impacts Android. Apple warns Indian politicians of state-sponsored iPhone attacks. Bitwarden passkey support is here and quite a bit more. Thank you all for watching Surveillance Report 155, right? Five? Perfect. Um, and again, if you like this podcast, uh, and I guess if you are still going to keep ads disabled, which if you find a way to do it, I still, from a security perspective, completely suggest you do, um, definitely consider supporting us on Patreon. Uh, that is a way where you can directly contribute to what we do. And we see a majority of that money. It's I think it's a much less invasive model than having to go through advertising. And so definitely check us out on patreon.com slash surveillance pod. And if you find Patreon itself to be too invasive, you can actually still support us on LibrePay as well as Monero. And Monero, there's not even any third parties. You're just directly giving us money and there's no one between us. So uh, we like to give you all options to support us. Hopefully something works for you. Um, and thank you all to our current supporters. You're all awesome and keeping us doing this for free every week. So thank you all very much for that. Thank you for listening and share it around. If there's a story you like that you think resonates with someone, share it with them. Get this podcast in front of more people and we will see you all next week.